looking forward to what? When Emma Watson goes down the same path, Kirsten Stewart goes, just getting her tits out in films and being naked. Hasn't she done that already? Surely. No, well, like, no, actually, no, Harry like, Potter, isn't it? She was a child actress before she... Yeah. Teen actress, so she had to be, like, respectable. Yeah, but and, a minor. And she sort of went to, like, be, like, a serious actress after that. Yeah, as they always do. But yeah, it's not yeah. sort of worked out, so instead she's just being a serious actress who's, like, naked the whole time, one of those ones. Like Demi Moore? Better. My f- tinfoil hat is is on firmly when it comes to deep state and like i said it's actually coming out as true now all this stuff that people would have called you a conspiracy nut job 10 years ago saying that your phone can spy on you and your telly can spy on you well it's true they're doing it no <laughs> they are well look, we're uploading this to the internet anyways so remember, like, <laughs> but do you ever have it where you're kind of thinking to yourself hold on if i ever wanted to run for office uh, is my like internet porn history going to come up in the discussion is that going to get leaked yeah, everyone's internet porn history. That's the terrible thing about the We've internet. We've all got a checkered past, man. That's the terrible thing about the internet. It's 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 made perverts of everyone. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Tom, Dick, and Not Hyman show. Hyman's zero-hour contract work for not one but two jobs. It's kind of affecting the production of this podcast a little bit. He's sort of like the John Oliver of the show, but only he's, you know, without the fame, money, or the success. Anyway, thankfully, I am joined by Tim. Hello, listeners. How you doing, Tim? Well, I've only been on the show for five seconds, and talking about the deep state i've already been muted once i've already censored you yeah yeah no you just kind of you've got a nasty habit of speaking out of turn you haven't even let me introduce the topics in this oh what are the topics tonight tom tim and i will be giving our review of logan a little bit later on did you actually see logan tim in parts on the internet <laughs> i spoiled it for myself. you read some spoilers and, then... and looked at some clips we'll also be weighing up a pair of tits by the names of piers morgan and emma watson but before that and in light of an alleged intelligence community coup against donald trump we ask the question what is the deep state if we don't get muted you're getting muted believe there's such a thing as the deep state that's actively working to undermine the president? Well, I think that there's no question when you have eight years of, of one party in office uh, that there are people who um, stay in government, have affiliated with, you know, joined and, and continue to espouse the agenda of the previous administration. So I don't think it should come at any surprise that there are people that burrowed into government during eight years of the last administration and, you know, may have believed in that agenda and, and can want to continue to seek it. I don't think that should come as a surprise to anyone. And will the director of the CIA or the DNI have a presidential mandate to seek these people out and fire them? or purge them from the government? The CIA does not, that's not part of the CIA's mandate under any circumstances. Do you agree with him? I agree with him about the, um, it's not the CIA's, CIA's job no, to investigate like American no. citizens or members of its own government. Isn't that more like FBI? Yes. So anyway, Sean Spicer there, perhaps acknowledging the existence of a deep state. Oh, Tim, what do you think the phrase deep state means? Well, I think you can look at it in two ways. One that is completely factual and irrefutable. And the second one, which is a little bit more conspiracy-minded, but what I believe entirely. Now, the first one, where you just talk about a deep state, you've obviously got 
an entrenched civil government, the civil apparatus of a country. Now, if you take our country... Like civil servants? Exactly. If you take the example of our country, the government can change every four years. But across the road in Whitehall, you'll have people doing the same job for like 10, 20, 30 years. And not just minor jobs, sometimes very, very important, powerful jobs. They, they do have an agenda well, and they do wish to see a continuity of that agenda. You're mirroring what Sean Spice is saying there then. That basically there are civil servants that are yeah. essentially unelected. And so when the government, current government administration goes, they don't go necessarily as well. Yeah. But, and they don't they don't like the new wallpaper in the office. That's like the most simple way of saying it. But in a more sinister way, you could say there's like a shadow government running the world on behalf of multinational military industrial complex. But the term itself, deep state, it's been adopted from first Turkey and then Egypt. And it came to prominence the phrase in 2011 in Egypt, the same time as the Arab Spring, mm. basically failed revolution. Well, not in every country. It didn't really pan out how the West hoped, to be honest. So the phrase comes from Egypt and Turkey, but that refers more to, I mean, in Egypt, basically, the military-run things. You had the Arab Spring. The result of that was the dreaded Muslim Brotherhood got elected, Mm -hmm. which is what the West feared, is that if you brought democracy to the Middle East, they'd they'd elect all the worst of Islamists. Mm, That's what's happened. But the military showed their strength. They kicked the Muslim Brotherhood out. I think most of them, like half of them, have been in prison. And that's the whole point. It's like the deep state in Egypt and Turkey is more the military strength. You've got a, a layer of elected parliamentary government, mm. but it's sort of like a fig leaf. It's They have no real power. The real mm. power lies with the military. Yeah. And I suppose in our example, we've got the crown. That's a sort of deep state in itself, isn't it? We are a constitutional monarch. Yeah, I know. It's a bit, it's a bit of a fuzzy one with us because we, the, the, the queen has to give her permission for the prime minister to open parliament or something i don't know yeah but now we're what we're doing here though is we're just basically stretching the definition of deep state to mean anything that isn't an elected politician which is kind of rendering it a bit meaningless and when you're talking more like the existence of a police state something like like hydra out of the marvel (laughs) (laughs) or like spectre out of james bond and dr no aren't they just like crypto fascists aren't they hydra apparently so they're like an analogue for the Nazis because they, they couldn't show the, <laughs> the films in Germany if they had like loads of Nazis yeah. apparently running around. But I mean, where the sim- similarities come in terms of the West, Western democracies and the deep states of Turkey and Egypt is the people, the masses have this feeling that there should be a top layer of government elected officials that the masses think th- this should be the most powerful, influential layer. These are the ones that should really be the people that govern us. But in Turkey and Egypt's case... There's the underlying deep state government of the military and the police. And they're all corrupt. They're all engaging in cronyism. And so the masses feel like they're governed by unelected people who act in shadowy, clandestine ways. Mm. And it's all behind closed doors. And it makes them feel powerless, basically. Yeah, that's how I feel at the moment with the House of Lords. But that's a whole different topic. (laughs) Anyway. So I'm saying, do you agree that there's a, a disconnect between the people's government and the fact that bureaucratic parliaments, they're stagnant, there's a lot of stalemate, they can't get much done. But when it comes to things like the military, the intelligence community, they always seem to have a shitload of money available to them. There's never enough money to look after the old people in the country, but they never say there's not enough money to bomb somewhere, do they? So, What has this kind of deep state got to do with Donald Trump and America? Well, like what Donald Trump sort of his the ticket he got elected on was was draining the swamp 
locking her up, which, <laughs> both of which he hasn't really done yet. Maybe the swamp is, is draining very slowly. It was never going to be an overnight thing if it is going to um, happen at all. But to be honest with you, <sighs> my view is Trump Trump shouldn't wasn't meant to be president, you know, like, like Brexit. It was a complete sort of fuck-up slash miracle that it happened. You talked about cronyism and, like, okay, uh, in, in the case of, like, the states having deep state, it, I don't think it's like Turkey or somewhere where it's cronyism and, like, people giving each other backhanders not to get parking tickets or build okay, buildings. Okay, what is it, then, if not that? Well, I think I, I, take, I take the line of... <laughs> Here we go, Tim Four Hat on. Um, like a lot of people believe, like there's there's probably like seven or eight families controlling everything, controlling everything. Rothschilds, perhaps Rockefellers, Astors. You know, just people with all, the money. All. Just 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 people with lots of money. And it's 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 just the simple fact that the golden rule: whoever has the gold makes the rules. And yeah, uh, but the thing is, Donald Trump has a lot of money, so not, isn't he surely to bring nothing, this back to what we're talking nothing. about? He's got nothing compared to the real movers and shakers. He's obviously declared war, pretty much, on his in- own intelligence community. And they seem to have uh, basically accepted the challenge to basically trying to fight Donald Trump. There was somebody, I can't remember, some senator who's got close ties, friends, in the CIA. Yeah. And the quote from him was, they expect Donald Trump to die in jail. He's going to be impeached, he's going to be arrested, convicted, and then he's going to be killed in jail, apparently. It's not the first time, though, historically, that presidents have had a lot of <laughs> trouble with the national security apparatus of the country. Kennedy, uh, to some extent. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Reagan, Nixon, they've all pretty much had, like, yeah. little spats with the NSA, CIA, FBI. Yeah, it's but not thing. quite... Apart like, from George, George Bush Sr., who was director of the CIA. Yeah, yeah they loved him, obviously. Yeah. But why, why would the CIA be upset at Donald Trump? Because he might not want to go to war with Russia. Policy-wise, <laughs> you know? he hasn't really threatened anything that Policy they Policy-wise, he's actually pledged to increase the military spend by 10%. Yeah, he's going to increase they, a lot of spending. They already, they already spend well. like 50% more than any other country. You know? It's not like he's planning to defund the NSA, get rid of... I think he said he was going to get rid of uh, EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, but he's not going to touch Department of Homeland Security or NSA. You know, mm. If anything, like you say, he's going to increase their budgets. They're going to have more money to play with, more power. Yeah. So Sean Spice is right then, basically. Yes, this time he's right. They're basically Obama people. That's what Sean Spice was getting at. It was people who were very much atti- uh, attached to the Obama yeah. doctrine, if you yeah. will. But yeah, basically, Trump attacked the CIA, the intelligence community, and their record with things like 9-11, the Iraq right. War, ISIS. And why not? So they've obviously, it uh, seems like they've taken that very personally. seems like they're a bit touchy on things like that. Yeah. They're not, they're not used to his management style. That's what the president yeah. is. He's like a manager. <laughs> He's the guy at the top, and he is, it's his job to like make sure people are doing it. So that came out last year. The CIA came out and said that uh, Russia, they confirmed... The rumours were true. Russia had interfered in some way with the American election. Now, do you buy that, Tim? To some extent, every major power will try to have some influence on another country. It's like it's only after Trump won that they've suddenly made a big deal. But I, th- I think it's complete bollocks. It's like, why do they want to have Russia as our enemy? Why do we... Well, because they've been uh, rather aggressive lately, Russia. You've got to admit, like, but I mean... I, and we're, I appreciate... and we're, not, we're not aggressive, well, NATO it's, expanded eastwards when it said it wouldn't, it's which pissed off Russia. Do you know Fair what, enough. Do you know what, bogeyman? That's what the deep state's about. It's about perpetuating this military-industrial complex. And I think that, that's rubbing up against what Trump's doing, because he wants to be friends with, with Russia. But this is the thing. Trump is not going to... He's not going to cut back on the military. 
So it makes no sense that the army, the uh, the generals are going to be against Trump yeah. in any way. I think Obama basically, I think he picked up the phone and made a couple of phone calls and said, listen, Donald Trump is 100% not fit to be president of the United States. Dig up any dirt you can find on him and leak it to the press. Mm-hmm. There were these, uh, like, we've had all these embarrassing leaks from his White House. Things like if he gets any sort of mem- memo or email that's more than two pages long, he doesn't read it. Some of these people in the CIA or whatever, they might actually have some sort of patriotic view where they feel it's their job to sort of fight the president if they think he's bad. You know, but that's um, what I'm getting. Why do they think he's bad? I mean, like, it's literally the only reason is because he talked trash. He talked a bit of trash about them yeah. and their record. And it's like, you should only really be against the president if you don't like his policy positions rather than you just personally don't like them. It's like there's a little bit of a bad precedent being set here that like, oh, say they, uh, all these leaks, they do amount to Donald Trump getting impeached and he gets rid of, which wouldn't be a great thing, by the way, people who don't like Donald Trump, you'd end up with Mike Pence. Mm. Who, if you didn't like Donald Trump, chances are you're not going to like Mike Pence either. But it's a bad precedent being set that once a, a president's elected, given how polarized American politics is, yeah, any president that is elected, nearly half of the country is going to hate them. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, of course, it's, it's fairly early days of Trump's presidency. Yeah, he hasn't had 100 days yet. No, it? and, you know, maybe give it six months. He would have <laughs> sacked a lot of people and uh, this, this will have died down. Ah, have you seen uh, the WikiLeaks latest leaks yes vault, vault seven yes read any of this or seen anything about it yes go on you're the conspiracy guy so that's exactly yeah because of that it's nothing new to me and all this stuff that 10 years ago was like conspiracy bollocks it's actually been proved true now by these official documents that have been leaked by julia sanjenko yeah. uh where the cia mentioned them as uh, looking into them as viable spying methods what i've read is that basically um, there's a lot of malware that it wasn't created by the CIA or in, or the NSA. It was created by malicious criminal hackers. They've basically reverse engineered a lot of these worms and Trojan horses to be able to break into things like iPhones, tablets, what have you, your laptop and all of that. But do you remember last year, the FBI and the um, San Bernardino terrorist case where they had the iPhone of the couple, terrorist couple, and they yes. were begging Apple to give them the knowledge or the know-how, the means to break into the phone. But then suddenly, the FBI was going to the American courts to try and force Apple to do it. Apple was saying no. And then all of a sudden, the FBI said, oh, actually, do you know what, Apple? We don't need your help. We figured out how to do it anyway. <laughs> I get the feeling that was kind of someone at the CIA yeah. went to the FBI and said, listen, yeah. we've got the technology. Yeah. But here's why I'm hearing is the big misconception about Vault 7 and the idea that um, the CIA can access any device anywhere at any time. And what they're saying is, no, they can't do it through Wi-Fi. What they need is the physical device. And they've got basically like, it'll be like through a USB cable or something like that. They can break into any device. They can't do it through the Wi-Fi, though. I've heard that I've heard two things. One, that it's actually possible just through an electric wire. Copper wire. Yeah. So if someone's got a wire going into their house, yeah. You could they, like a light bulb. You can listen to someone through their light bulb. That's utter bullshit. <laughs> that is bullshit. <laughs> it's just because that's what you've not heard. And the the other one I've heard giving a lift to once through work, and he was talking about a friend's son. So this friend's son got a job at GCHQ, and apparently yeah, one, British equivalent of the NSA. Yeah, and apparently one day at a family get together, he said, "Okay, everyone, put all your phones on the table." And he said, "Do you know that like if your phone's switched off, it, you can be listened to." recorded and uh he told them and then he got, and then he got in trouble 
the, the boy, the GCSQ, apparently. They, oh, well, they heard him through his mobile phone. Not, well, he wasn't smart enough to think. Yeah, well, apparently they still managed to, yeah, and they did, but he still, got, he still <laughs> kept the job there. All right. Now, if the narrative is that the CIA is against Donald Trump, they're obviously making these ties with Donald Trump to Russia, that so far there's no real smoking gun. It's kind of like six degrees of separation. Like, yeah. He knows a guy who knows a guy who made a deal 10 years ago and Trump yeah. made X amount of money on it, blah, blah, blah. When he was doing Miss Universe in Moscow. This is all going to go in Trump's favor because he ran on the populist platform yeah. of I am against. There are these elites, these shadowy elites in Washington who aren't on your side. And I, Donald Trump, I'm on your side, the people's side. But just quickly, have you noticed how um, the left are trying to paint populism as a uniquely right wing thing? Yeah, I don't understand. Like People said we must beware the rise of populism on the right in Europe. Well, no, they just said people we have to be aware of the rise of populism in Europe. Oh, well, that's pretty fair then. If but, they were but, talking but, left and right. But I didn't understand. It's like, what's wrong with something that's popular? That's if not something what? that's popular, it means most people that's probably think what, it's all right. That's not what populism means. Doesn't it? It's a, pop, a populist is someone who runs on the platform of, I am on the side of the people and the masses and I am against the elites. The establishment elites. That sounds great to me. Which is almost every politician who runs these days. And why is that a bad thing? It's not really. That's Trump. Like Trump is saying stuff that ten years ago would have been like coming out of David Icke's mouth. Is this shadow government is trying to screw me over? <laughs> yeah, it's true. JFK alluded to secret societies that were running things on the right for the last several years, i.e., under Barack Obama. The right have been increasingly concerned about government overreach being able to intrude too much into people's private lives, the fact that the president can just drone strike anything that he wants. Prior to Obama, under George W. Bush, it was the left that used to be concerned about these sort of things. And so American politics is so polarized that when a right-wing president is in office, the left are concerned about these things. And when a left-wing president is in office, the right are concerned about these things. And they kind of switch priorities. Things have become so polarized. It's like being anti-establishment used to be a left-wing position. But now, if you're anti-establishment, people will call you an alt-right Nazi. Well, I think that's because the right were the establishment now, arguably. The left had their run for a good 20 years, especially in this country. Yeah. So we know from the election of Donald Trump, and I would say partially the Brexit vote as well, the people feel like it's not the elected officials that are governing their lives. It's the military generals. It's the heads of the NSA, the CIA, the FBI. It's the police commissioners who are corrupt. It's mayors who are corrupt. And then um, it's obviously not helped. Because, I mean, I think there are, when it comes to the deep state, to yeah. link this all back to the deep state, it's easy uh, conspiracy theory fodder, especially when you throw in, there always seems to be enough money for a war or any kind of military adventure. There always seems Damn to be right. enough money to uh, engorge the intelligence community and build data collection sites that are bigger than Manhattan that and cost satellites. billions of dollars. Yeah. yeah, But when it comes to infrastructure spending, like maintaining highways and bridges and let's oh dams you know the dam in california well it wasn't yeah. the dam it was the spillway bit that broke oh, but how people. come the money's never there for things like that for public spending the money's never there but for the private military sector it, it's a guaranteed 100 percent true thing that what? you're saying that war is profitable well do you remember um, dick cheney in the carlisle group he was yes. the president or CEO, was he, of Carlisle Group, who manufactured weapons. And he becomes vice president. Suddenly there's a massive hard-on for war. Mm -hmm. 
including even going into Iraq, which didn't really make sense. Like Afghanistan after 9-11, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. But why Iraq? They've also got shares in Blackwater, which is the biggest private military sh- force in the world. Um, That's something you're alluding to there, the way politicians, it's like the revolving door between government and the private sector, where politicians come in. Get directorships. Well, they try and sit in government for as long as possible. Their main priority is just trying to get re-elected. And then as soon as they've had enough of being in office or the people have had enough of them being in office, they go straight into a high paying job at a bank or some other multinational conglomerate where obviously what's being employed is their government connections. And so like all of this adds up to the rise of populism. It adds up to the election of Donald Trump. Who, the anti-establishment candidate, who in a way he kind of is just because you're rich doesn't necessarily make you part of the establishment. So in a way, is the deep state, is this really just another name for plutocracy, for oligarchs and yeah. government just being too close? Yeah. I, you know, even on the local level, it's like in, in your local council, it's like job, jobs for the boys and people in their families all give each other jobs. And it's really hard to get a job at the council if you don't know someone who works there. And you just scale that up to like mega corporations and landmine manufacturers. <laughs> you know, it's but exactly it's like the same thing. The rich always get their way. Yeah. The poor very rarely get their way. And it's kind of like, this is really what the deep state, I think, in, in terms of America, not Turkey and Egypt, where the phrase originates. It's sort of been Americanized in that sense. I think deep state is just a pleasant dilution of military industrial complex extraterrestrial lizard overlord. Okay, let's unpack. Where's my tinfoil hat? Well, how does the military industrial complex work? You're saying it's like the military is always growing. Yeah, I'm saying like, look at the US Army. It's the single largest consumer of oil in the world. Yeah, those trucks are uh, yeah, they're yeah. all over the and globe. And petroleum products. And jets. In, in general, yeah. And they basically, their raison d'etre is to basically go to countries that produce oil, gain control of them. So they can basically <laughs> keep going. But it's this a perfect is what I'm circle. This is what I'm circle. saying in regards to Trump, right? That's what he wants to do. He wants to go to Iraq and just take the oil. In terms of the NSA and web companies like Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat, Instagram, in terms of them being too close to each other, I don't think there's an active collusion going on there. I think it's just the case that these web companies, they make a very only a handful of people extremely rich who are then going to, by extension, have contacts with the government by virtue of their wealth and the fact that they understand these technologies that the government wants to understand. And so basically what I'm getting at, right, maybe the deep state is just a natural consequence of free market forces that continually push for advanced technologies. Yeah, just look at um, the guy from um, Google, the guy from Facebook. They were both invited to the Bilderberg meeting last year. (laughs) But the thing is, with the right, free market forces, venture capitalism making advanced technologies these are the things that are called they can the right would consider these things a virtue rather than a vice it's more a left-wing thing to consider these things a vice, in my opinion but maybe it's all just a natural consequence of economic growth of technologies getting so advanced that the common man the average man or woman couldn't understand it anyway but you need like an elite to govern things because the masses <gasps> can't know they don't really know enough to be able to make decisions when it comes something? to the internet you know and cyber security. I hate to say it, but you're, you're, you're right to some extent. And like one of the lines of work I do where I'll be sort of training people, you have the, the saying where like, oh, you, you might have heard the saying where the, the customer is always right. Yeah, well, no, I don't no, believe no, that. But. No, no, sometimes the customer isn't right. Yeah. And you've got like 10 years of knowledge and experience and you know 
that if they do what you say, they'll get the best results <laughs> and they won't get hurt. Point being, it's not really malicious necessarily in the way that an Egyptian Turkish deep state is. I think the NSA genuinely think collecting Jesus Christ, I think it was something like 200 million texts and emails a mm. day they accumulate. Yeah. Maybe they honestly do think that that's going to help catch the next big terrorist mm. or stop the next big terrorist mm. plot. And they might be right, but regardless of morality, we'll bring it in morality, there's, there's the fact that it still isn't wrong, it's not right to do that if you, like, are in secret services and stuff, they all get funded by us. So technically everything they do is in our name. And like any blood they shed technically is on our hands. And it's, it's, it's a difficult line to cross when you get into the sort of secret world where like national security, we're not allowed to talk about it, even though it's costing you 10 billion pounds a year. We can't tell you what it well, is. Some things need to be secret for a reason. You can't have everything be out in the open. You can't be 100% transparent. Mm. Basically, they don't have the right to, to make decisions because they're unelected. And that's, that's where it's rubbing up with Trump because he's elected. He's got a mandate, yeah. So he's got a mandate, but they've got a sort of tradition of just having their own way of doing stuff, completely unmandated. Because there was like a 30-year orthodoxy of the neoliberal order can't be questioned, globalisation can't be questioned, mass immigration can't be questioned, and they're all, in the Western world, all of these things are being openly questioned now. Yes. And maybe that's why they want to stop Donald Trump. Well, but, it's, yeah, it's inevitable, isn't it? It's, it's people yeah. reach a, a certain apex or... A, breaking point whatever you want to call it hump in the the hill um momentum is gained you know trump trump's yeah. just the manifestation of that i think the obsession with constant economic growth why, why should a society's or a civilization's success and virtue be judged on how much money it has in the bank really but the sad thing is it's like it's always used as the the final answer and argument to everything it's like where do i profit from it it's not as if it's good or evil it's like where's the profit in it and so that's what life is all about unfortunately it's, it's monetarism it's it's not it's not even just about monetarism. it's human nature it's it's fear of missing out it's wanting to get one over on the other guy that's what capitalism is the you establishing yeah. an edge well establishing an edge and then exploiting it it's the of, competition aspect but Maybe it's, this is a consequence it, then of the current zeitgeist of just you've got to always have economic growth, which means you've always got to have new advancing technologies, yeah. which means you're always going to, you're going to have more and more data collection. And the state, once the state has the technology, the power to do something, it can never be taken away. It can never be erased. Like nuclear weapons, you can't ever erase nuclear weapons. They're always going to be there to stay now. But anyway, and right. box is open. True. All right. And what was the last thing left in the box after everything had left? Oh. Anyway, coming up next, we're going to be discussing the showdown of the century. Piers Morgan versus Emma Watson over a pair of tits. Now that's an image conjured up in my head. They're, you said they're both tits. So Piers Morgan's a tit because he says stupid things and he's outspoken. Emma Watson's a tit because she says stupid things and she's outspoken. So yeah. Really, they should be good, good mates, but they've had a falling out. Two breasts in a pod. <laughs> Feminism is about giving women choice. Feminism is not a stick with which to beat other women with. It's 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 about it's about freedom. It's about liberation. It's not it's about equality. It's not I really don't know what my tits have to do with it. So Emma Watson appeared recently in Vanity Fair with her breasts partially exposed 
and this started a veritable firestorm on Twitter with accusations that Emma Watson was a flaming hypocrite. <laughs> it, come on, the picture, no nipples are visible. No breasts are visible. Just barely the underside, kind of, yeah. Yeah, underboob. It's very popular now. And like, pff, come on. It's only because she was like a beloved child actress by a lot of fucking children who are now grown up. And it's not. it wasn't even a sexual, that sexual. It was very no, arty, really, fashion-type photo soft focus. Because this is what child stars, this is like the trope. Yeah. Whenever they grow up and they want to signal that they're not children anymore, they do yeah. raunchy, sexualized kind of things. Like, uh, obviously, um, Miley Cyrus was one, you know, she was swinging on the ball naked or whatever. Still is, yeah. Crazy. I'm not daddy's little girl anymore, that kind of thing. But anyway, the reason why people are accusing her of being a hypocrite is that uh, back in 2013, Beyonce promoted her self-titled album by posing in a bunch of raunchy photos in a magazine. And uh, Emma Watson at the time alluded to this being a conflict with Beyonce's portrayal of being an empowered woman because she was basically fulfilling a male fantasy by posing in highly sexualized ways. Now, do you think Emma Watson is a hypocrite, Tim? I don't think she's a hypocrite because she wasn't necessarily doing what Beyonce was doing. It's, it's a matter of perspective. It's like, think of like, um, say, one of the girls who works in Spearmint Rhino, which if people don't know is a very expensive strip club. Strip club. You could say that's that's like the ultimate in female empowerment. They they make a fortune. And they're they're doing a job that they mostly like. I think, <laughs> you know, they're in control. They're getting adoration and loads of cash. Are you suggesting then to be an empowered woman, you have to be comfortable with taking your clothes off? No, I, I think what Emma Watson has always been getting at is that women shouldn't mm. drag other women down. But that's what Emma Watson did to Beyonce. And now Emma Watson's getting chastised and her defense is, well, listen, feminism is just about choice. Yeah. You should just be able to do whatever how, you want. How old is Emma Watson anyway? She, she can't be even in her mid-20s. Early 20s? Exactly. And when, so the, like 2013, when she was saying all this stuff about Beyonce, that's when she first became a UN ambassador for women's the, rights. Um, he for she campaign. Yeah. And she was basically just sort of flexing her newly found adult vocal cords and just speaking crap basically and she, she she's realized that she's got to just play the game and and be sexual if you're going to be a modern hollywood starlet um that's the question can a woman can a starlet a pop star actress what have you can they do raunchy sexualized photo shoots and then complain about raunchy sexualized photo shoots is that allowable or is that hypocrisy I think we should allow people to be hypocrites, <laughs> give them enough rope to hang themselves. You know, it's like the, the sort of people who support them and give them money and pay for their products are pretty much stupid people and will forget what they, they actually said. And they just buy into the image instead of the words. You know, it's... So you're saying yes? Yes. You know, what, what I don't stand, it's, it sort of alludes a bit to what we were talking about in a previous episode about the Oscars and how they make these big political statements, these celebrities. It's like, why do we put so much stock in what actors say? It's like, trust me on this. Because they're actors, celebrities. Actors are lovely people, but they're not intellectual colossuses. Colossi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're celebrities, which means a lot of people know them. They have name recognition. Yeah. A random public intellectual that nobody's ever heard of mm. making a proclamation, an announcement. Who cares? Yeah. But if a celebrity says it, now yeah. suddenly you're going to reach a lot more people. Well, celebrities are celebrities because people want to be like them. Rich and famous. They want to ape Living them, it up, living they, the life. How they look. And, and part of that, they'll try, and, they'll try and copy their 
beliefs as well. So will they copy Emma Watson and Beyonce then? Will young women think, well, if I want to be famous, this is just what I've got to do. I've got to well, get a little bit naked. I, I feel very sorry for young women at the moment. I think they're getting a lot of mixed messages. <laughs> it's very confusing. Is there a difference? Because uh, So basically, Emma Watson takes some flack for supposed alleged hypocrisy, right? And then her retort to that was, well, listen, feminism says women should have choice. They should be able to do whatever they want, really, within reason anyway, right? Mm. She then retreated once the hypocrisy was kind of exposed and what she said about Beyonce was revealed. And she kind of retreated and walked back to, well, listen, there's a difference between posing half-naked in Vanity Fair and posing half-naked in something like a porn mag or page three of The Sun, she brought. She tried the context argument. There's a different yeah. context between someone buying a Vanity Fair and looking at the pictures of Emma Watson, yeah. and someone buying the Sun yeah. and seeing Karen thirty four double D and her opinion of yeah. Tim Farron, Lib Dem leader, in a little speech bubble. Like, there's a different context. I'd say it's different from page three because it's <laughs> it's meant to be only partially titillating and not completely titillating. Well, this is the thing to me. They're both designed to be titillating yeah. i i um i used to go out one's more serious than the other fair enough yeah I, I used to go out with this this girl who was who did a bit of like fashion modeling photography she did a shoot once where it was all sort of like um, soft focus very so, classy yeah, yeah but in one of the shots like one of her nipples was visible even though it was sort of blurry and it it just took the whole focus away from the whole picture all the sort of arty makeup and hair really? and like background yeah it just drew your eyes just drawn to the nipple isn't the real question though should a woman be allowed to do that isn't it like the kind of the context argument to me is a little bit of a red herring the real question is should emma watson be allowed to pose half naked in raunchy photos and should a woman be allowed to pose in half naked raunchy photos altogether that's you, the argument you're asking about why humans need permission to do things <laughs> free will man it's not about their sex well women are emancipated right well look at it uh, look at it in uh, this sense a man has the freedom if he wishes to to go pose like say a matthew mcconaughey every film i've ever seen matthew mcconaughey and he takes his shirt off because he's got the ripped chiseled body so it's kind of like well why the fuck not yeah. i've got it so flaunt it right now if men have the freedom to do that surely women have the, the same freedom women do so, they like make this, careers out of it some of them this argument shouldn't really ever come up then emma watson should really be able to pose half naked in vanity fair and a page three girl should be able to take a paycheck for getting her tits out in the sun. Look at the Victoria's Secret models. It's, it's life, isn't it? It's like flowers. Flowers are colourful and beautiful to make the bee want to land on it. And they smell nice. And they look nice. And that's why the, the bee wants to go <laughs> to the flower. <laughs> it's nature, you know. Ah, the nature question. Yeah. We know from uh, like several studies that have been done over the years, women enjoy looking at images of the female form, if you will, the cliched phrase, almost as much as men do. Yeah. But the reverse isn't true. Men don't like looking at the male form nearly as much as women enjoy looking at the female form. Now, is that just because... Is it the nurture argument that they've been looking at pictures of and paintings and sculptures of naked women their whole lives? You could also say that naturally most people will have had a closer relationship with a feminine... With a naked woman than a, a naked man. Perhaps, their, yeah, there might be, yeah. But just, just um, aesthetically, from an artistic point from of view... From the male point of view. No, but just aesthetically... male, I guess. No, just from a plainly, purely artistic view, a woman is 
is more beautiful or has more opportunities for beauty than a man. Simply through the, the shape of her body and the breast, there's more opportunities for symmetry to be seen. That's not true. And their skin is softer. Their hair is, is more glossy than a man's. It's, uh, you know, they don't sweat. We're, we're hitting well, all the tropes there. <laughs> like, um, that's, that's understandable. But what, what I'm saying is that it's, 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 it's part of nature that you know, women are cl- more closely related to, to sex and reproduction and men are more related to violence and reproduction. So women are always <laughs> going to have that more softer, alluring edge to them. Now, this story of Emma Watson's hypocrisy and her getting her tits out, this gained traction once Piers Morgan got... The dreaded Piers Morgan got involved. The charmless former disgrace editor of the Daily Mirror, who was sacked after publishing fake photos alleging that a British servicemen were torturing Iraqis. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pictures in the back of the lorry. Yeah, and they were peeing on them allegedly and things like that. But it turns out they were fake. They were a hoax. Well, they were reconstructions of eyewitness accounts passed off as real pictures but the point is since then Piers Morgan has basically been a public hate figure and uh, it didn't help that he was at the uh, news of the world at the time of the uh, the celebrity uh, phone hacking well they call it hacking but basically it was just the passwords to the voicemails was zero 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 yeah it and was, they gained access it was pretty bad though because they did it in the case oh, yeah. of uh, Millie Dowler who was a murder oh, girl they got the they gave her voicemail they gave the parents the impression that she might still, still be alive, alive. yeah oh, that was pretty sickening or a ghost right. one or the other so Piers Morgan wrote an article about how Emma Watson was a hypocrite because she chastised Beyonce now now once I noticed once Piers Morgan got involved. The story kind of changed. It went from Emma, Emma Watson is a hypocrite for telling Beyonce to not do something that Emma Watson did. And then it changed to Piers Morgan should not tell women what to do. He should shut the fuck up. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Emma Watson's finally realized that no one should tell anyone what to do. <laughs> and she, every, everyone should just shut the fuck up. What she's realized is, is no matter how weak your position is, as soon as Piers Morgan challenges you and stands in opposition to you, the public will deem you automatically to be correct. Well, if Piers says you're wrong, you must be right. I'm going to give you a little example of what I'm talking about here. This is uh, model Lily Cole on Sky News. I think it's in some ways a massive misunderstanding of feminism that people are attacking her for this. I mean, part of feminism is a woman's ability to have choice and to choose whether or not she, uh, how much she shows of her body. So, um, as she said, using it as a kind of stick to beat other women is, is it was kind of missing the point, I think. Yeah. To be honest, I think it's but, just an excuse to print pictures of her with her, <laughs> with her breasts off out all over the media. Yeah. <laughs> but it's always about who's looking at the pictures isn't it and if you're portraying yourself as i mean who is going to buy this vogue magazine and then who is going to buy the the, uh, the reprints in the in the papers i don't think it's very feminist to portray yourself in that manner why doesn't she just cover up if she is such a vocal feminist but what do you mean by you don't think it's feminist because that's such an mm-hmm. that for me is a very that's your view of feminism and you're entitled to that but it shouldn't be applied to everyone i think that it's a very subjective thing so the two women there so the the the, the anchor and lily cole they yeah. had they had a, a slight disagreement over the definition of feminism this is an interesting thing so i'm thinking women obviously have different ideas about what being a feminist is what the definition of feminism is then i thought forget about that i'm a man Okay, what's the male equivalent of feminism? 
Is there a male? Isn't there? Isn't isn't there? Well, there doesn't. Where, but you say you've got to be a good man. But hold on to your point about there isn't a male equivalent of feminism. Feminism obviously was a reaction to women not yeah. having the rights, the same rights that men have. I think it was a necessity for a while. Yeah. To get society evolved. But is that true? But now it's consuming well, itself because they're all disagreeing about tits. Because Emma Watts, <laughs> it's women for you, isn't it? It's all about fucking <laughs> what each other looks like. You see their tits? Fucking slag. That's what they're like, honestly. But what you're talking about there is um, there have been schisms. There have been a multitude of schisms in the feminist movement where there's been splinters and separations, differences of opinion, right? Yeah. They tend to revolve around things like uh, sex positivity versus sex negativity. Like whether you're pro-pleasure fucking or not, you know. There's a schism over sex workers, whether you should just be generally pro-sex workers or you should be a little bit pro-sex workers whilst also being aware that maybe these women aren't having the best of I think it's, experiences it, in their life. It's, it's about being able... It's, it's, are you being judged from a patriarchal viewpoint? Is that a traditional patriarchal viewpoint that some women are actually adopting and... You know, it beating other women over the head with it's it's such a well. This is what funny... Emma Watson was saying. Feminism isn't something to beat women over the head with. Mm. Nah, I don't. That's not. It's not entirely false, but it's not entirely true either. Because think... these schisms lead to that. They lead to one group of feminists saying to another, "You're wrong. You're doing feminism wrong." Yeah. Uh, there's always the kind of tendency to say like, "Oh, you're hurting the movement because yeah. we disagree with you." What she's saying there about, oh, it's, a, it's just about giving women choice, giving them the freedom to do what they want. This is a kind of oversimplified, abridged form of feminism. It's a very simplified form. When you actually kind of drill down further into issues, that's where the arguments start happening. So, But when she's relying on this, almost a kind of a platitude of, oh, feminism is just about equality. Do you know what I mean? There's, well, there's different ways of kind of taking that. What form of equality, like equality of opportunity, equality of outcomes. And this, when she tries to rely on this simplistic rhetoric, it's going to lead to scenarios where she's make, she's going to be, she's going to look like a hypocrite because her simplified rhetoric doesn't work mm. all the time. Yeah. And the silly thing is as a fucking species, it's impossible to agree on one thing. So they can't say you're a well, good feminist or a bad feminist. you can, you can agree on one thing, but you, you're not going to agree on everything is what you're you saying. Know, that's right? what I mean. It's this completely circular thing where about once every month, two famous women in the media are going to fall out about who's being a feminist and who isn't. You know? Pretty much, yeah. It's just a, self, a, lot of... it's a self-consuming thing. And it's a shame because, like I say, you have all these women doing the pussy hat marches because Donald Trump said something on a bus 13 years ago, secretly recorded. Yet you don't see what them... What he said was heinous. But you don't see them every week fucking protesting FGM, women getting stoned for being adultery and uh, not so... being allowed to drive and all this other ridiculous stuff going on in other parts of the world. To that point... Get there real, are, ladies. There are women, there are groups out there that do, but they don't get any real press and and it's because they're like a they're vocal but like a not very loud minority for the western world maybe feminism as a necessary thing has its place and belongs in the 20th century getting getting equality that was that was needed but now women have a lot of equality like we've got a female prime minister at the moment there was almost a female president there's been lots of female presidents most and prime ministers around are, the world most of the yeah. parties are led by women yeah you know there's women have been in space um, they've been to the bottom of the ocean. Obviously, apparently, there's still wage wage inequality, but there's a lot of well, women. There's a lot of women who are CEOs of like Fortune 500 companies. Um, sky's you, the limit. It would be remiss at this point to not point out that this was the week 
where uh, we had International Women's Day, March mm. 8th. Yes. What women did online in terms of uh, celebrating International Women's Day? Well, thankfully, from what I saw, it, it didn't turn into the sort of mass day of civil unrest and withdrawal of work there wasn't and a big sexual favors like some <laughs> some were threatening um instead it did seem to be more of a sharing of inspirational memes and pictures of women doing traditionally masculine things what and other girls cheering them for it so they'd be like pictures of women like sort of boxing and stuff and girls going yeah girl you go go and like a, a picture of a woman like sort of fixing a car she's like yeah girl you go and it's like so the more masculine of women's acting the more f- feminist she's being you know that's that's what i came that's what i saw from all the memes you go go you you fly that attack helicopter and kill all those iraqis yeah feminism i saw something completely different we've got entirely different Different news feeds yeah Yeah. facebook friends yeah (laughs) what i saw was mostly women being aggrandizing about being women yeah and like uh like constantly it was phrases like um i saw a fair number of the uh, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle google must be a woman because it knows everything it's like things like that traditionally that's what we had mother's day for that was yeah, but t- not all women are mothers which i know would be but, the- but you know it's like i love women <laughs> i i wish women ruled the world for the most part because the, generally they're, they're more about c- conciliation than than violence compared to guys and they do like talking <laughs> you know that's why it's more about conciliation because they'll they'll, they'll they'll speak more what did you do <laughs> what did you do to celebrate international women's day if anything at all i was nice to every woman i came across that day surely you're that every day yeah I am. That's the thing. I, I didn't see what I could do. I, I thought about sharing an inspirational meme of a woman doing a traditionally masculine thing <laughs> to show how feminist she is. But I, I just... I saw a lot of the uh, exclamation that we don't do enough to celebrate women. But this was kind of a trope that I was seeing a lot. And it's like, well... <laughs> I think most guys celebrate uh, women at least once a day, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but my point... If you actually, like, if you bother to kind of go on Google and look for it, you'll see that actually every week there's some event going on that's celebrating women, whether it's, <laughs> yes. like, women in literature, women in yeah. film, women yeah. in painting, women in sculpting, women in politics. There's always some event going on every week. Yeah. So I'm kind of getting, I'm getting a little bit tired of the idea of, like, oh, we we don't ever talk about X when we talk about it all the time. We don't ever celebrate this when we celebrate it all the time. And it's kind of part of... um my um sounding like a broken record in this podcast here but the victimhood culture where you just can't like what you were saying earlier you can't just acknowledge how good people in the west have it we have a we really do struggle acknowledging that never had it better for international women's day i was thinking about to your point of saying women being kind of masculine i almost posted a video about do you know uh, christy martin you have to remind me the name rings the bell but i can't attach anything she was a uh, boxer in her prime i would say like early to mid 90s and she was one of the first women boxers to kind of put women's boxing on the map the coal miners daughter she was known as and i almost posted this but i kind of felt a little bit like it would come across as though i was pandering a bit like i was trying to trying to get likes and pussy get approval so i didn't bother but i'm gonna play you a little clip here because to me it's like i thought it was a chance to kind of start posting about women who are inspirational to you regardless of whether you're a man or a woman. Here I am, this small town girl. How in the hell 
Do I end up on the cover of Sports Illustrated? Christy Martin fought like a man, looked like a woman. She could knock someone out. She could knock someone out with one punch. She was on very high-profile cards, Mike Tyson undercards on pay-per-view. So everybody in the world, they're going to watch to see what Mike Tyson's going to do. But I want them to leave there with my fight on their mind. That was kind of what drove me. For Christy and her husband and manager trainer Jim, this is no gimmick. Women's boxing was nowhere before she came around. The Deirdre Gogarty fight put women's boxing on the map. Christy got bloody. It was a brawl. The other girl, Deidre Gogarty, was tough. She stood there, and all of a sudden, I think a lot of people who probably didn't even know that fight was on the park are watching it going, who are these women? I think people saw me in the pink, and they thought, it's two women fighting. She's going to quit. Now she's bleeding. You know, she's going to quit. And I just tried to fight harder. I didn't want people to see me as a quitter or a bleeder or whatever. I wanted them to see me as a winner. But, you know, my personal life behind the scenes, that which people don't see, was never good. It was not what people thought. It was a lie. Yeah, her husband manager turned out to be a bit of a piece of shit. I don't know why I to trust him, but I, I did. He had told me for 20 years, I'm going to kill you if you ever leave me. He stabbed me. I mean, on the side, three times, bam, bam, bam. I tried to get away, and I tried to kick him away, and that's when he, he cut the calf muscle almost completely from my leg. It was just just hanging on. Somewhere along the line, it, it dawned on me, he can't let me live. He cannot let me live. There's one bullet in a 9mm, and he shot me with it. He missed my heart by four inches. Someway, I walked out of there. Either I walked out of there or was carried out by some angel, but, you know, some way I was, I was going to live. Can you know, it's horrible. Yeah, the husband, trainer, slash manager guy. He was, uh, well, he's in prison, basically. Christy Martin, she survived. She uh, went on, I think, to have another boxing match after that. She came out of retirement. Mm. I almost uploaded that to Facebook to kind of say, like, Christy Martin, to me, is inspirational in that sense like she is a real legit victim slash survivor do you know what i mean but not in a kind of a a drippy self victimizing way yeah but i think that's you know that's a very extreme example of it but i think day to day there's a lot more mundane examples of women who are I, my my biggest hero, who's who's a woman, is is my mother. It sounds very soppy, but it's it's not because um, she was a single parent, and I know she had to make enormous sacrifices in like what what she had to do in her free time and whatever, and and that's like an everyday thing, which is like repeated a million times all over the country every day, and that, that, that's sort of there are a lot of unsung heroes in those women, definitely. And that, that, that they they don't they don't get a big voice or anything like like M Watson or like celebrated because um, this is something I think every parent who has both a son and a daughter will probably know quite well is that boys are way more needy than girls are and I think uh, the female of the species is more of a, a natural born survivor but I like women like Christy Martin I like people generally yeah who are a little bit tough who are a little bit stoic. They know how to pick themselves up off the ground, shrug the dirt off, and then keep going. Now, I'll tell you someone who doesn't have a good Tim. It's Hugh Jackman (laughs) in what I think is his seventh appearance as the Wolverine. Seventh or final. In fact, yeah, his seventh and final appearance. 
maybe a truckload full of money <laughs> might change that. Yeah. Of course, we're talking about the big cinema release of the week. It's Logan. We got ourselves an X-Men fan. Maybe a quarter of it happened. And not like this. In the real world, people die. Logan. I don't want to talk about it. Logan. Just stop. Be careful. I need the girl. What girl? Go get her. So, directed by James Mangold of uh, Copland fame, and uh, he also directed the 2013 Wolverine. That wasn't that bad, you know, the one in Japan? Starring Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart reprising his role as Professor X, Xavier, and newcomer Daphne Keene playing the little girl you most likely saw in the trailers. Now, Tim, did you see Logan? No, but I've I've seen a few bits of it and ruined as much as I can. You know the plot, basically. I I know the plot, I know the spoilers. Yeah, I mean, it was almost, it was kind of marketed as his it's, last Wolverine film, the last it, time Hugh Jackman will play To Wolverine. me, it just seemed to be marketed as a film with, like, everyone dying, like, uh, Patrick Stewart as well, like, from the trailers, he looks like he's on his last legs. Because it had the uh, Johnny Cash. Where, where Johnny Cash is involved, there's going to be some doom yeah, and gloom and death and darkness. But uh, I'd say, like, it was a really solidly good film. Refreshing amount of violence. I think it was uh, rated R in America, rated 15 here. Mm-hmm. So it had a lot of graphic violence, a lot of mm-hmm. swearing. Seeing, like, I mean, that got, a, that got a snigger every single time Patrick Stewart said shit or yeah. fuck. But there's a great opening scene where Logan, our hero, he's incredibly disheveled. He's slightly out of shape. He's still kind of ripped he's drunk he's a limo driver making money on the side Mm. and uh like some mexican gang come to steal his hubcaps and what i like is right off the the violence hits you right off the bat like he's severing people's limbs what are they fucking with his car yeah well i mean it starts off (laughs) they shoot with the limo driver's car man it starts off they shoot him point blank range with a shotgun and it was not like it was actual you know squibs it wasn't cgi yeah you can't beat the old style robocop (laughs) exactly paul verhoeven yeah they had to do some CGI blood because Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, the claws obviously come out from his knuckles, three blades, and he stabs a lot of people in the head. Because I imagine it's, um, you know, um, but a lot of martial artists in uh, 80s and 90s anime would be able to slice people with their bare fingers. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. salami, like slicing through salami. Yeah, yeah, like that guy in Fist of North Star. But that's what you'd always hope for in Wolverine. He would yeah. slice a person's yeah, yeah. head and it would like... Be- Chunks. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously the CGI effects on that would cost a little too much. In the movie, he stabs about 20 dudes in the head. Yeah. There's a great scene where Patrick Stewart is kind of freezing time and he's kind of suffering from Alzheimer's. So he hasn't got full control of his time-stopping abilities anymore. And uh, Wolverine can kind of actually resist it a fair amount. So there's a bit where Patrick Stewart is about to be killed by these cybernetic ex-military soldiers. They can't. They can barely move at all but they can kind of see Wolverine coming towards them really slowly, and he just kind of stabs slowly every single one of them in the head. It was refreshing for a comic book movie. Like, that was what was missing from X-Men 2. Yes. You know the bit where he's in the mansion? And okay. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Special Forces guy storm the mansion, yeah. and he stabs a whole load of them. But there's no, like, there's like the guy's shirt doesn't even have holes <laughs> in it, let alone blood pouring yeah. out. The thing is, though, uh, you look at the Marvel universe, that basically Marvel has been bought by Disney, 
So I don't mm. think that's going to happen for the majority of Marvel films. Well, this was a Fox, 20th Century Fox film. Deadpool yeah. was also 20th Century Fox. And it was very successful at the box office. So I think that's shown the way. I think what Marvel will do, they'll probably have to do some sort of offshoot that's a bit a bit more gritty. But some, like you say, some characters, you can't do them justice without the requisite violence. Mm, yeah, I imagine DC are going to look at this and go, okay, listen, we're on the right path of yeah. making it darker and grittier. The kid doing a lot of violence as well, I, I gather. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is quite, I think that's, that was quite unsettling to see. No. 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 <laughs> Holy fuck. And we're down. She's like you. Very much like you. I am not whatever it is you think I am. She needs our help. Someone will come along. Someone has come along. So, I mean, it was quite violent, like Deadpool. But unlike Deadpool, this film had a heart to it that Deadpool didn't. Also had a compelling sub-theme of family and finding contentment in life. So in the near future, a weary Logan, Hugh Jackman, he's caring for an ailing Professor X somewhere in the, uh, like along the Mexican border. And uh, however, Logan's attempts to hide from the world and his legacy and the legacy of the X-Men is upended when a young mutant girl arrives, pursued by dark cybernetic forces. It felt like a Western... You know how in most westerns it's kind of your you have the protagonist cowboy yes he's kind of doing his own thing and then some typically a damsel in distress will enter his life reluctant and, hero it's almost kind of like going off on a side mission on a video game do you know what I mean like, <laughs> yes yes the real hero of the day in Logan is the fact that the story's pretty good I mean um, the best thing about the X Men series almost always was the relationship between Wolverine, Logan, and Professor X, the father-son yeah. kind of proverbial yeah, thing yeah. going on. And now you've got a sort of newer version of that with him and this little girl, the father-daughter yeah. relationship. It's kind of, there's a, a passing of the baton. Okay. So, like I say, it's a kind of Western-esque where your protagonist is doing his own thing, he's got his own pipe dream that he's following. Yeah. And then a damsel in distress enters, and she's uh, it takes the form in this film of a Mexican nurse. Yeah who has she's accompanied by a little girl yeah eventually she gets killed and so logan has to take the girl in it's that old thing about even retired gunslingers can never really escape trouble you know it always come and find yeah them. you can never leave the life of crime yeah. and that kind of thing yeah. yeah but obviously you if you've seen the trailer you can tell there's some connection between the little girl and wolverine logan yeah, yeah. she's got the same claws and what yeah. have you so the setup is this is logan's daughter right and to go slightly into spoilers here, she's a test tube baby. She's like a clone of Logan. So, like, technically, I was kind of struggling with the plot in a sense of the drama comes from the point of view of, like, this is your daughter, so you have to take care of her. But she's not really his daughter, do you know what I mean? Like, if someone stole my DNA yeah. and made a test tube baby from it, yeah, that's not really my son or daughter. Yeah, but if it's like a, a lone child out in the world with no one looking after them, you'd, you'd look after them anyway, hopefully, wouldn't you? <laughs> Perhaps some uh, paternalistic if, instincts will kick in. Yeah, just some basic humanity. <laughs> or maybe mutants are different, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the sub-themes is Logan's relationship with his father figure, mm. Professor X. But of course, at some point, you've got to become a father yourself. The but, tone of the film. Yeah. Tonally, the film, the film is really good in the sense of um, 
it is kind of dour it is a bit depressing mm. but that's kind of life though isn't it <laughs> i definitely got a sense of uh, downbeat finality about this particular picture the message the film is trying to convey family is the most important thing in life mm-hmm. and of course it's like it's been established since like the early noughties that's what really that's what he's looking for is a family that he can be yeah. accepted into and feel yeah. part of yeah This is what life looks like. People who love each other. A home. You should take a moment. Feel it. You still have time. Two days on the road, only one meal and hardly any sleep. She's 11, I'm fucking 90. Similar to uh, Deadpool, the action sequences were very good. Mm. And the uh, director, James Mangold, he had the sense, like Deadpool, to kind of stay, to steer clear of the overly epic, giant action sequences mm-hmm. where buildings are smashing and things like that. It was very kind of low key in that sense. It felt like a more like a nineties action film before right. they got obsessed with the epic CGI scale of yeah. things. Is it a satisfying denouement? Were you, did you leave the cinema feeling oh, oh. glad the way the story turned out, or, or yeah. do you, were you frustrated at the, anything? Do you wish that it turned out differently for certain characters? No, it's a very satisfying end, and it's a good fitting send off for uh, Hugh Jackman, his swan song no, okay. as the Wolverine. Mm. Yeah, in summary. A very good action slash comic book film. Even though it has a lot of graphic violence, it does have a ton of heart to it as well. A real emotional connection, like I say, which is missing from a lot of comic book movies. Mm. And I'm hoping that's what Marvel Studios and DC Comic Studios, that's what they take away from the success of this film, because I think it will be massively successful. Yeah, It's not just the graphic violence. It's the story, a deep story that we are emotionally, we are emotionally connected to the characters. Yeah. We hope you found contentment with this episode, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and uh, give us a good rating if you're listening on iTunes, as it helps us out a lot. Good. Maximum. Five stars, please, if you would. Or uh, if you're on SoundCloud and you don't have iTunes. <laughs> have a good one star now, just because we've been pushy. <laughs> okay. That would be incredibly vindictive. But uh, yeah, if you're, uh, if you're not on iTunes and you're on SoundCloud, give us a like and uh, hit the follow button if you enjoy what we do. My thanks to Tim once again for joining me. Pleasure. Hopefully we'll see you next time. Bye.